Amen. Amen. It's good to be home, church family. I've missed y'all. I'm glad that y'all are here, and it's good to be back. You know, it was uh, someone this morning, they told me, they said, well, Brother Ridge looks like you didn't miss any meals. I said, well, just look at it this way. There's more of me to love. But um, I want to thank the church for allowing us to go and spend some time away uh, to, to rest and uh, time of renewal, uh, reflecting on things that, that God has done here and is doing. And what a blessing it is to be able to go and spend some time with, with uh, my wife's family and, and uh, my brother and some others uh, up in Oregon. And so just a wonderful time. So thank you, church family, uh, for allowing us to do that and to rekindle those relationships um, you know, I, I heard some great things while I was gone, and um, it's a tremendous blessing to be able to go and then um, hear wonderful news about what God is doing um, in your absence, and um, I'm wondering, maybe I need to get out of the way more often, but uh, you know, whether it's these salvations of these children uh, during vacation Bible school or baptizing uh, in the water park and doing some of these other things... What an incredible, incredible work of God that he is doing among each one of you. You know, today is the the fifth Sunday in July, and uh, at the end of our service, we're going to be taking up an offering, a love offering, uh, a free will offering, uh, and we'll have people posted at the doors for that, but it's to help uh, churches touching lives for Christ. And it's an entity here in Temple that helps feed and, and clothe and uh, provide uh, assistance for those who may be less fortunate. And it's a, our way of being able to help out. So if you would give generously to that at the end of our service, we would appreciate that. You know, this morning I just um, I hear these things that are going on and I'm, I'm excited about them. And I want to encourage you this morning. You know that, that pedal over on the right... The accelerator, I just want you to put your foot on it and mash it, okay? Just keep doing what you're doing, only more of it, okay? Because I know that the gospel is being proclaimed through this body. And to me, that is a beautiful thing. This morning, I want to I uh, come out of Galatians chapter 2, and I'm going to be uh, starting a, a series out of this chapter. And I, w- I want you to camp out there with me for a little bit. And I I ask this question because I want us to get on the the track right away here. How far can we stray from the truth of the gospel and still have a viable faith? I mean, when we think about this, we think about the the status, uh, where we are as a nation and where we are as churches in our nation. How far can we stray from the truth and still have a viable faith? See, because the moral bankrupt stew that we find ourselves living in as a society today, we have to wrestle with this question. See, in every generation there are movements, usually many of them, that wander off from the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and try to make it uh, something other than what it is. The Apostle Paul, he warns us in this letter in Galatians that if we begin... 
to stray a little bit from the gospel that we have taken up another gospel which really is no gospel at all. Folks, this is important stuff. Because we live in a culture that detests controversy. Especially that of the theological variety. No stomach for it. See, the big emphasis right now is on love. You know, they, 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 they want to love everybody. And, and, and people sometimes say, well, what good does it do to stuff your head full of doctrine? Isn't it more important the way we live, just that we could get along and to love everybody? These same people are the ones that say we must love and accept all professing Christians, whether they be liberal Protestants or Unitarians or Mormons or Roman Catholics or Jehovah's Witness or whatever. And I know I'm plowing close to the corn because I think this is important. See, they feel that somehow what we believe is not essential to salvation as much as how we live being the important thing. See, I would agree that all Christians ought to love one another. Even when there are differences in what I want to call secondary theological issues. Things like baptism, things like... um, church government or millennial views. But there comes a time when there are some non-negotiables that you have to hang on to fairly tight. Some of those things, you know, we we don't have a, a, a firm grasp on, but other things we do have a firm grasp on, and we need to hold on to that. One of the non-negotiables is that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I say that because the true gospel of grace is that people are saved through belief in Jesus Christ alone apart from any human works. It's all about what he's done, not what I'm doing. He has done all of the righteousness. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. It's about him, it's not about me. My faith is in him and his finished work. See, salvation in Christ is a gift from God. And it can only be appropriated. We can only receive it by trusting Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Some of you may think, well, I've kind of heard this before. I believe that. But you need to understand something. These are the issues that are at stake in our society. These are the things that are important. These are the things that you and I need to be grounded on. So that when the tide comes in and it washes all of those that aren't rooted away, you will know what's going on. I just came from Oregon. One of the most unchurched states in the Union. Recreation is their idol. And they care very little about God or Jesus Christ. Oh, they're spiritual. 
but they care very little about the gospel. See, if we leave the foundation of our saving faith, this justification, I know it's a big word, through Jesus, by faith, we abandon the gospel. And regardless of how holy or how pious or how religious we may appear, we've abandoned the gospel. You know, in 1988, several years ago, 30 years ago almost, the British and the French, they, they worked together on building a, burrowing a, a tunnel under the English Channel. They called it the Channel. Now, in that, they began to work from both sides, and, and, and they were working and drilling and, 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 and moving together towards this common point. But, you know, if they had been off just a little bit, either way, they would have totally missed each other underneath the English Channel. When you think of it, it's pretty, pretty astounding. But the reason they didn't was because accuracy in the path that they pursued every single day was the only way of successfully reaching their goal. Accuracy in the path they pursued every day. Folks, it's no different with us and our walk with Jesus Christ. We need to stay on the path. I think this is important because the one and only revelation of this gospel we have in God's word. God has revealed the gospel to us. You know, Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's pretty exclusive. That's very exclusive. And that's the gospel. You know, it bears testimony over and over to the fact that we, as sinners, are justified before a holy God because of Jesus Christ. See, this doctrine that we call justification by faith, for centuries it's been called the article by which the church rises and falls. We need to hang on to it, folks. We need, to, we need to stake our claim. See, if this doctrine is so important, it shouldn't surprise us then that the enemy is sowing seeds of distortion, sowing seeds of confusion, taking people away from the gospel, saying maybe there are many ways to God. See, the devil, he's not going to object to our great organizations or our structures in Christianity. He's going to object, and the battle will come when we fight to proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ. When we proclaim the only truth that sets people free. That's why I'm putting forth this series of expositional sermons on Galatians 2. To explain this essential, non-negotiable. Read with me, if you will, in Galatians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 10. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then after an interval of 14 years, 
I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren, secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you, But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked For Peter, in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Verse 9, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So how sensitive are you to the gospel? How sensitive are you to the gospel? I mean, Paul faced this daunting task of calling attention, the attention of the church to this infectious teaching that was undermining the gospel preaching. He knew clearly where he stood on the gospel because he had received it as a revelation from Christ. We read that in Chapter 1, verse 12. His concern was for the church as to whether they were going to fall prey to these that we call the Judaizers. Those who were law-minded. Those who were trying to add works to salvation. Because of their Jewish background, they were Jewish Christians who wanted to add Jewish customs as an essential to being saved through Christ. See... Dr. Timothy George, he has captured the essence of this in his commentary on Galatians. He says, the price of theological integrity and spiritual vitality is that of liberty. It's the same as that of liberty. It's eternal vigilance. We have to continue to watch. He says, the gates of hell will never prevail against Christ's church, nor will the truth of the gospel ever be obscured Uh, so obscured that God is left without a witness on the earth. However, throughout the history of the church, there are discernible periods of apostasy and decline and examples of many visible congregations whose candlestick has been removed by the living Lord because of their infidelity to Him. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want that to be this church. 
That because of our infidelity to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have our candlestick removed and we are no longer a light for Him in this world. This is meant to be an encouragement. I am praising what God is doing through you. But don't stop. Keep going. Keep being diligent and vigilant in that. Stick to the truth. Stick to the truth of the gospel. Because the same gospel which Peter and John and Paul preached is at stake with every generation. Because you see the souls of men and women. And the life of the church is what's at stake. We must be unwavering in the message of the gospel. And so you ask, well, what's the big deal? Why is this so important to us? I'm glad you asked. Please note, there is unity in the gospel. There is unity in the gospel. Paul says that for 14 years after his conversion to Christ, he went up to Jerusalem a second time. And Jerusalem was the hub of, of Christianity. It was the hub where the original apostles were. And, and, and the chronology of Paul's life becomes a little bit blurred here. And it may have been at this time that, that it was the Jerusalem Council, or it may have been before this. But whichever it was, Paul went to Jerusalem to demonstrate that the gospel he was preaching to the Gentiles was the same gospel that the apostles were preaching to the Jews. He wanted them to know that. And, and what I want you to see here is that the gospel is for all people. And it has far-reaching power. The gospel is for all people. We believe that. Hopefully we live that. Hopefully we share that. It's not just for a select few. It's, just, it's not for people who are just like me or just like you. The gospel is for all people. I love this because in verse 3, it talks about this, and, and it's, it's clearly, this principle is clearly demonstrated in Titus. He's an uncircumcised Gentile who was welcomed in as a believer. Look at verse 3. It says, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. They're saying, he is a believer. He has received Christ. And we, I'll get more into this, this deal about circumcision in just a little bit. See, the apostles, they all agreed that Titus did not have to be circumcised to be saved. They concluded that salvation was by grace through faith in Christ alone. No external act, not even physical circumcision. For salvation is by a spiritual circumcision of the heart. When one believes in Jesus Christ. This is, this is huge. You see, Paul didn't condemn the act of circumcision in itself. But he did protest when circumcision was made a condition of salvation. It's kind of like us saying, well, someone has to walk the aisle. If they're going to be saved. I don't read anywhere in here that is a prerequisite of it. 
I don't re read anywhere in here that it would be a prerequisite for someone to be a member of a church in order to be saved. He says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together in Hebrews. But I don't see that as a condition for salvation. And that's exactly what is at stake here. These Judaizers, the ones who wanted to put the... Um, they, were, they were Jewish Christians who were believers, but they wanted to add their customs, their, their traditions, those things that they held dear, they wanted to add that to salvation. As a, as a, to Christ as, as a prerequisite for salvation. Anything except Christ alone is not the gospel. If you add anything to it, it is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, and it's through grace by faith in him. I love this. Because Paul was not against the Jewish rite of circumcision. If Jews or Gentiles wanted their children to have it. But he insisted that this rite had nothing to do with salvation. And it should not be forced upon those with whom it had nothing to do with. See Paul, we proved this in the case of Timothy. He took Timothy along with him. In verse uh, Acts 16, 3, Paul wanted to take him along on a journey and he circumcised him because the Jews, because of the Jews that lived in that area, because they all knew that his dad was a Greek. They all knew that his father was of Greek heritage. And Timothy was circumcised at Paul's request. And you may ask the question, well, why would he do that? Does he have a, a double standard? Here's the deal. Timothy had a Gentile father. And his mother was Jewish. Timothy was an evangelist at that time. And would have been a witness to the Jews. He would have talked to lots and lots of Jews. And in order not to be a stumbling block to unsaved Jews, he was circumcised. See, Paul permitted that rite of circumcision for Timothy as a matter of racial and social custom. Not as a ground for salvation. This is, this is important stuff. Because I tell you today that the gospel is capable of a sturdy examination. If you can't lay your gospel out and explain it, then maybe you don't believe it. That's what I'm saying. We need to be able to do that. We need to be able to tell people why we are saved. Paul goes and he lays out the gospel that he's been preaching before the apostles. They said, yes, that is correct. Not because he was trying to bolster his conviction. He just didn't want the opposition, those Judaizers, to come and influence the people he was leading to the Lord. I think it's important. Paul outlined the contents of the gospel. And if our gospel comes from God's word, then it'll hold up. It's solid. We don't need to be concerned about it holding up or not. Write this down. God's word is for sure. And it will endure. God's word is for sure. And it will endure. Because you see this same gospel, it unifies the church. 
I mean, until we can agree on the gospel, we have no ground for unity. Did you see, did you catch here how Paul met with the apostles? They didn't summons him. They didn't say, Paul, you've been teaching, you've been preaching. We need to come and hear what you're preaching. That didn't happen. He also didn't call a meeting with them. He says it was because of a revelation that he went up to Jerusalem. And there he met with the apostles in a private, unofficial meeting. He clearly laid before them the gospel he was preaching. See, Paul didn't have any doubts about his gospel. He just wanted confirmation from the apostles so that the Judaizers would not render his ministry fruitless. You know, we think we have some understanding of prejudice in our day. But the greatest prejudice ever known to humanity is that of Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. (laughs) But listen, they were brought together in Jesus Christ. Educated and uneducated. Rich and poor. Slave and master. They were brought together in Jesus Christ. The gospel is for all people. See, this blew the minds of the the pagan Romans, because they were, there was such love among different uh, uh, cultures, among the Christians. They were like, wow, how can this be? And I would say to you today that our churches need to show that in Christ we can overcome socioeconomic barriers. I mean, we have to stop producing cultural, social clubs and show the world that Christ overcomes racial and social and economic and cultural barriers. Folks, listen, it's up to the church. The world's not going to do it. It's up to the church. And if the church doesn't do it, it won't be done. This is what we have to do because there is unity in the gospel. We know that. We're all different. Every one of us is different. And we come to this place to worship Christ. And in him, we are united. We are all one body. Let's look very quickly at the opposition to the gospel. Notice verse 4. But it was because of the false brethren, false brethren, secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which was in Christ, in order to bring us into bondage. False, secretly, sneaked in, spied out, bondage. You see that? The opposition. They're not coming in announced. They're sneaking in. They don't have the truth. They're trying to spy it out so that they can put them in bondage. See, the Jewish people, they felt very deeply about circumcision. They had made huge sacrifices. Huge sacrifices in order to be faithful to the Lord in this matter. 
But by the first century, by the time of the apostles, there was a misunderstanding and they misunderstood circumcision. See, it was given as a sign of the covenant. It was given as a sign of the covenant, not a means of salvation. It illustrated the spiritual truth of repentance and consecration to God. After one was circumcised, it signified now things were different in their life and they belonged to the Lord. They were one of his people. See, circumcision was something like a membership card in the covenant community. It signified physically a spiritual condition, a spiritual reality. And Moses and his prophets indicated that by commanding the people that they first circumcise their hearts. That's the real meaning of circumcision. That they would circumcise their hearts. It's a physical rite pointing to the circumcision of the heart. Which really is a way of speaking about a spiritual change that has taken place in their lives. We might think of it in terms of transformation. We talk about someone when they come to Christ, they are transformed. They are no longer the old man. They are a new creation in Christ. There is a transformation that takes place. You see, the Jews, they would look at circumcision and say, I am a different person now than I was. I belong to God. I'm one of his people. There is a transformation that has taken place. I am no longer what I was, but I am something different now. And we speak about it in those terms. And he's talking about circumcising our hearts. Folks, I believe we could use some heart surgery. Their motive is exposed. Their aim was to bring young believers into bondage, to partner that with works, Christ with works, so that you can be saved. And it's no good. It's not the gospel at all. And so Paul takes a stand against the opposition. He says there in verse 5, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. So that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. You know, Martin Luther, he declared, he said, For a true and steadfast faith must lay hold upon nothing but Christ alone. And in the terrors of conscience, it has nothing else to lean upon but this diamond, Christ Jesus. You know, one of the many social responsibilities that we as Christians have is to take care of other Christians who are down financially. To help see to the needs of others. It's our responsibility to help take care of the poor. Take care of those in our city. That's why we, one of the reasons why we work at Feed My Sheep. That's another reason why we take an offering for churches touching lives for Christ. So that we can help those who may be on hard times. 
Now, in his commentary also of Galatians, Luther says this. He says, next to the preaching of the gospel, a true and faithful pastor will take care of the poor. Where the church is, there will be the poor, because the world and the devil persecute the church and impoverish many faithful Christians. The devil is winning the day. When you look around and you see where we are as a nation, as a state, as a country, as a church, we recognize that the enemy is oppressing and terrorizing our people. Taking care of the poor. You know, and as long as we're talking about money, not many people these days desire to contribute to the maintenance of the ministry. You know, raising up pastors, putting people out there, sending them out. Not many want to contribute to the maintenance of the ministry or maybe even, let's say, building Christian daycares and schools. How else are our children going to learn who Jesus is? We need to be bringing them up in that. Or maybe youth ministry in other areas where we're teaching young people what those values mean and what it means to be a disciple of Christ and to walk with Him. But when it comes to establishing false worship and idolatry, understand that in our world, no cost is spared. Think about it. Oh, that we would represent Christ the way we represent the Dallas Cowboys. When we're talking about false worship and idolatry, no cost is spared. I'm not picking on the cowboys. What about our passions or our other pastimes? Or our heroes? Those people that we don't have a problem shelling it out to go see. Yet the ministry suffers. The truth of the gospel suffers. See, true religion will always be in need of money, while false religions are backed by wealth. Clearly, my desire today is to encourage you. And the reason I say that is because I am so proud of Memorial Baptist Church. I'm proud of what you all are doing. You know how, how, how wonderful it is to be away and to hear wonderful things going on at your church? Do you know how proud it made me when my, I was sharing with my mother-in-law that, that, that 24 children prayed to receive Christ? She's like, you're not even there. I said, I know. Isn't that fabulous? Seeing pictures on Facebook of, of baptisms at the water park. Taking the gospel to the community. 
I'm so proud to be a part of a church that is discipling people and sending out. Our God is awesome. To encourage you as I wrap this up, I want to say we must spend time studying the gospel. Studying the gospel of Christ in order to recognize error. We need to be grounded in God's word. We must use every opportunity God gives for proclaiming the truth of the gospel to unbelievers. Every opportunity means that you need to share the gospel when you have the opportunity in front of you. You're going to see people, you're going to talk to people that I may never even meet. But all of us can share our story with them. We must be willing to take a stand on the gospel with other professing believers. I mean, listen, we've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. Folks, that's a, that's a big thing to put in us, is the trust to share the gospel. We have this commission given by God to declare the gospel. But notice, it's the same gospel. It's the same God at work. It's the same spiritual power. It's just different audiences. You have the opportunity to share Christ with people every day. And we have a fellowship in the gospel. We have a bond in the gospel. And when you share that, then you have a bond in the gospel. Everything becomes deeper at that point. The fellowship is richer. The joy, more joyful. See, whether polity, the way we do our business, or practices may differ, but we can stand together in the gospel and we have fellowship that cannot be broken because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. See, I'm so very thankful for the people with whom we stand in fellowship with the gospel. Our skin colors vary. Our backgrounds and our education levels differ. Our language and our phrases might seem strange to one another. But we stand on the same truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified for sinners. We have that in common. That's why we worship Him. That's why we sing His praises. That's why we gather together. We are one in Christ. May we never be so narrow as to think that no one else has the truth of the gospel. But let's also be discerning, realizing that not every group that claims to be Christian proclaims the, group, the, the truth of the gospel. See, we need to encourage all of those who stand on the truth of the scriptures, all of those who depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, all of those who are proclaiming the saving message of our Lord Jesus Christ, his cross, his death, and his resurrection. We need to encourage them. May we always stand firmly for the truth of the gospel. In the face 
of those who would water it down or compromise its solitary nature of faith alone in Jesus Christ, by grace alone, by faith alone in him. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we celebrate. We celebrate what Christ has done for us. Father, justifying us before you through his blood on the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, Father, we have life eternal. And God, we give you praise and glory for that. Father, I thank you for the truth of the gospel. And Father, I know that it is true because of my own experience. Father, I'm not the man that I used to be. Father, I know that you have transformed my life and you've transformed many of the lives around me because of the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray that you would help each of us take a new look at the gospel. Father, do our lives measure up to your gospel. That, Father, we are trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us and leads us and convicts us of all truth. Lord, I pray that today, if there is someone here who has never acknowledged Christ, Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, that today they would do that. Father, we know that we're only here for a short time. I mean, what is our life? It's like a vapor. It goes by so quickly. But Father, you've given us today. And I pray, Father, that you would convict our hearts. Father, that we would no longer let it just be an everyday thing. But Father, when we worship you, Father, that we would be humbled by that. Father, that we would be forever changed by spending time with you. Father, I thank you for the message that is being proclaimed out of this church body. Father, that wherever we go, your church goes. And Father, as we gather and worship you, what sweet presence we have. What sweet joy to, to worship with one another. Singing the praises of our Lord and Savior. God, I ask that today you would draw us close to you. And Father, that we would desire to share our faith with someone today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. To you be all the praise, glory, and honor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to offer you just a, an invitation, if I might. Maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken something to your heart. Maybe you're one of those that has never acknowledged Him as your Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Just to say, I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. Maybe you're here and you're a believer. And you're not plugged in anywhere. You don't have a church family. 
If you're looking for a church home, this is a good one. Maybe you're here and you just feel cold. Maybe you feel like the fire's about to go out. Maybe you need to speak to him. Whatever God's putting on your heart, I invite you to come. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing together. And as we do, I invite you just to slip out from where you are. Maybe you want to come and pray. I will pray with you. You can pray with someone else. But whatever God is putting on your heart, do it today. Do it now. Because there is an urgency to this hour. We never know when that breath is going to be our last. And on that day when we stand before the judge, the king, almighty God, every sermon that we've heard, every witness that we've heard, will be speaking that we had opportunity. And this morning, you have opportunity. Don't put it off. Do it today. Would you stand with me?